Hello, Whiskey Files, and welcome to another episode of Pot Still Radio. Dave Glare, Gokdana, Falcha, and Shaw, a Postal Radio, Ismisha, Maya, Haley, and Nagoni, Hugasanu, Tome, Machakarish, Don Kafru, Hector, Degron, Quarantine, Postal Radio. In Ainlocht and Ambassador brand, the Nadauna, Teeling Whiskey Company, Robert Caldwell. So, Falcha, and Shaw, hey, Rob. Hi. Hey, what's going on? And before <laughs> we drop into this episode, I do want to say a little word from our sponsors. So, the PX series. Single malt whiskies gently finished in cherry cast by W.D. O'Connell Whiskey Merchants. A different kind of Irish. Follow W.D. O'Connell Whiskey across all platforms or visit wdoconnell.com for more details. And what's your treat this week? Why not enjoy a Clo and 10-year-old cast strength whiskey or a delicious flame-fed pot-stilled puchine? All available online. Check out cologne-distillery.com for more information. And of course, irishmalts.com who have all the latest and greatest Irish whiskies, gins, and putchins delivered straight to your door. Visit irishmalts.com to view their full range, which of course includes the PX series from W.D. O'Connell, the full Cologne range, and of course the Teeling Whiskey range. So Rob, very big welcome to our show in the middle of the COVID quarantine lockdown. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you joining me over Google Hangouts. Cheers, Matt. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. So I suppose, Rob, you're the global whiskey ambassador for Teeling Whiskey Company. Um, but as few people might have pegged from your little introduction there, uh, <laughs> not the most Irish of accents. So I suppose if you could, uh, I suppose, deep dive for us into, I suppose, who you are, where you came from and what you do with Teeling Whiskey. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so I am Australian uh, by birth. I grew up in a place called Byron Bay. Uh, so some of you may have been there, some of you may have heard of it, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but it's a small tourist town on the east coast of Australia where I met you know, a lot of backpackers. And uh, straight out of high school, I was you know, a little immature, I guess is the term. I only played rugby and, and uh, didn't really kind of put too much heed into what I was going to do for uh, my, my career, I guess. Uh, so I fell into bartending at a young age like a lot of uh, people do, especially uh, here in Ireland, and uh, never left. Uh, essentially, I met a lot of kind of Irish travelers, English travelers, Swedish travelers, and Canadian travelers where I grew up. I never saw snow until I was 25. So this kind of idea of seeing the world kind of was really ingrained at a young age, as well as hospitality. Uh, so fast forward, I've been in the hospitality industry now for too long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to give away my age, but yeah, <laughs> 20, 20 years I've been in the hospitality industry and uh, always been a whiskey fan and, and very proud to be representing uh, Irish whiskey and Irish whiskey brand in Teeling. How did you go from Byron Bay to <laughs> being the global brand ambassador for Teeling Whiskey Company? That's a, that's a very uh, roundabout story. <laughs> like I said, never saw snow. So the first kind of trip was to a, a ski hill in New Zealand went there and went, oh, wow, this is a completely different experience. It's completely different to everything that I've kind of known growing up being, you know, beach bound. So, yeah, did a did a ski season in Canada uh, for a year, then to London, then back to Australia, then back to Canada, then back to London, uh, Manchester, and then um, Dublin. So, yeah, worked in bars all over the place, uh, some cocktail bars, some whiskey bars, 
more often than not, I tend to gravitate towards either a cocktail bar or a whiskey bar to kind of develop, you know, my passion in, within the industry. Uh, kind of not really nightclub or anything like that. Uh, not really hotel, more just either yeah, cocktails or whiskey. And then in 2010, 2011, I moved to Ireland and fell in love with Irish whiskey and opened Peruke and Periwig. So I worked at the Exchequer first and foremost, then opened Peruke and Periwig. We had a big focus on Irish whiskey, specifically in Irish whiskey cocktails. And then through visa issues, had to go back to Australia with my partner, Linda. And we were big advocates of Irish whiskey down there, promoting tealing, promoting anyone, anyone we could get our hands on, anything we could get our hands on, uh, and then came back to Ireland. And if you uh, know Kev Hurley, who used to do my job with tealing, he was, uh, you know, he's got three young children, so the travel's a bit kind of uh, crazy for him. So when he hung up his whiskey warrior boots, he kind of contacted me and said, I'd like to put you forward for this role, and I could think of uh, nothing better. So that's a, a very kind of short short story on, on how I kind of transitioned from uh, from traveling bartender to uh, traveling global whiskey brand ambassador. You're just on the opposite side of the bar now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Although I don't think I can handle the bartenders. Uh, yeah, you got to have strong back, strong knees, strong uh, constitution. I don't have any of them anymore. <laughs> so I suppose now, what, what year did you join Teeling Whiskey Company then? 20 what year is it now 20 2018 early 2018 so yeah it's just over two years and what is encompassed in your role as global brand ambassador what what markets do you cover or what kind of part of the business do you cover it's education activations a lot of talking about whiskey a lot of drinking whiskey i try and get involved as much in as much of the kind of process as possible i really kind of enjoy it um you know the production side of things always kind of appealed to me i love the romantic side of it i collect whiskey and uh, yeah, just being ingrained in every aspect, but primarily the, the role is, is education activation globally. So it's obviously kind of weighted heavily towards our kind of bigger markets. So the US, Ireland, obviously, uh, the UK, France, Germany, uh, a lot of mainland Europe, a few emerging markets. I got to do my first trip to Asia there the year before last, or last year, late last year. Uh, that was good. So, yeah, I mean, it's growing. It's steadily growing. As you know, the Irish whiskey category is really growing. And I, I think we have a little bit of playful kind of banter here in Ireland as you kind of a little bit of like elbowing and nudge nudge kind of stuff between whiskey brands. But as soon as you leave Ireland, you get a sense of there is a lot of scope to grow as, as a category. Uh, so I think that's important to kind of remember that, you know, the minute you go to America, it's all about bourbon and even just getting a, and a little kind of sentence here and there about Irish whiskeys is, is an uphill battle, as you well know. I suppose one of the things is that people who I suppose listening won't know this, but yourself and myself would find each other in, in different places around the <laughs> world. I think the most most recent was Athens Bar Show. Um, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you guys would be kind of the one of the largest Irish whiskey components of the Berlin Bar Convention as well. So with being able to see kind of three sides of the same coin when you look at the US, when you're looking at kind of continental Europe and then at Asia, how do you find a market knowledge or excitement perhaps about Irish whiskey and how does it differ between those kind of three key market aspects? Uh, yeah, so the, the excitement is there 100%. You know, that's that's a given. You know, the, the whiskey category globally, you know, it's a very geographically unique kind of category in that every country has a different understanding of what they interpret whiskey to be 
and and they're all very popular like japanese australian taiwanese indian they've all they're all quite popular even israel have a, a whiskey company out there and they're all quite popular but very few have the provenance in the history of irish whiskey so you know having that kind of draw from that heritage that history the stories it's uh there is definite an interest there i think it's the education side of thing that's it could always stand to be improved you know you've got uh, a lot of markets still kind of defined by Jamison because they did so well, you know, growing the category out of the ashes, as it were. They'd still kind of, in a lot of markets and a lot of big markets, the Irish whiskey category is still defined by Jamison. And even just kind of back to basics of describing that Irish make single malts, what single grain is, what single pot still is. There's a lot of a lot of work to be done, a lot of legwork to be done. Even even breaking down, you know, the the, the broad category of blend. And removing the negative connotation around that word blend one of the things that you said there as well was something we hear from a lot of different irish companies that it's the education piece on single pot still is quite a yeah. big part and i think going forward your first release from the new market square distillery was the pot still so can you run us through kind of how finding the place in the portfolio for the first pot still from teething what that was like yeah, of course. I mean, I think everyone kind of remembers the the, the launch of of batch one, and you know, I think it's it's great to look at those now retrospectively. Like I said, I even said it at the time. Like these are going to look great retrospectively as a series because they are just chapters in a story that won't be told again. I think the knee jerk response was this is too young, and I think our question uh, should have been at the time, yes, of course, it needs more time in cast, but what casks? What casks best exemplify this mash bill that we're only kind of just rediscovering? You know, we we can't just copy and paste what the other single pot stills in the market, like Redbreast, Greenspot, Powers, what they're doing, because it doesn't serve to kind of grow the single pot still as a category if we're just copying and pasting, you know, these well-established 12 years and older uh, single pot stills by Irish distillers. So we need to kind of separate ourselves out and and kind of establish a different style of single pot still as it were uh you know dublin pot still uh 50 50 so 50 percent malted barley 50 percent unmalted barley but it's kind of uniquely tealing so we started with a range of different cask influences because obviously you know we, we lead that space we do a lot of experimentation with cast finishes cast maturation and the blurring lines between those two things so we kind of just put the single pot still into these different casts and tried to learn over time what these influences are going to do, how they come together and how we can create a single pot still that is true to the historical style of pure pot still, but is also uh, appealing to a modern whiskey uh, fan. And that is a fine line. I, I always <laughs> imagine that a late 1800s pot still would be probably way too spicy and oily and leathery for the, the, the even the Irish market today for a lot of consumers. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I think that that astringency there, like even I like I talk to a lot of bartenders, obviously, and, and drawing the comparison to these old kind of cocktail books, like the Jerry Thomas Bartender Guide in the 1800s. You make those cocktails like for like today. It is not what we not palatable at all. Uh, you know that the palates of people back then weren't as predisposed towards sugar as we are today. You know, Coke wasn't a you know big part of their diets, so they they kind of tended to lean towards these spicier, stringent kind of flavors and and characteristics. So yeah, I don't think that 
translates like for like. So you want to be true to that, but you also want to be, you know, you want to be market something to a yeah a younger whiskey drinker because that's the beautiful thing about the Irish whiskey demographic. It's far broader, far younger, far more discerning uh, than any other whiskey category, and a lot more people coming to try different things. I think the brand loyalty is starting to fall away as we begin to appreciate good whiskey i like what you're saying there about the the cocktail books i think i've spoken <laughs> about it on one of my previous podcasts but i once found uh, an irish whiskey cocktail recipe that was being kind of shared around the u.s from the the, the turn of the end of prohibition yep. it was a it was basically a shamrock shake it was with, um but it was it, i remade it i remade it about 10 different bars in the states and it was awful it was mm-hmm. Like it was just heavy cream, green curacao that does not exist. It has that going to stop being made in like the nineteen in like nineteen fifty six, and then uh, <laughs> and there was what was the third? It was basically whiskey, green curacao, and cream. We made it exactly to the recipe, and it was oh. one of the <laughs> it was one of the <laughs> worst cock. Like it was just heavy cream shaken with ice whiskey, and what well, had to be creme de menthe in the end to make Ooh. it a bit. Um, one bar did a good job by altering the recipe and made it a kind of like a St. Patrick's Day shamrock shake and it worked yeah. out quite nicely. But when going through the recipe, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously did a bit of research into that and like tried to kind of dig out a lot of the kind of old Irish whiskey cocktail recipes. But yeah, I think that's the, the important thing. Like a lot of those books were kind of based around fortified wines. There wasn't that many Scotch recipes or Irish whiskey recipes or even hard spirit recipes for that matter. It was a lot of kind of fortified wine, port, sherry, Madeira. So, yeah, I think the misconception that Irish whiskey wasn't used in cocktails is, is false. Uh, it wasn't the fact – it was just, you know, as you know, like maturation wouldn't have been a big part of whiskey in the 1800s. So that's it would have been that quite a raw – uh, astringent flavor so i do a tasting where i pull out like cast strength single pot still that's been you know it's, it's three years old so you're talking like 64 percent 50 percent molded barley 50 percent unmalted barley quite kind of raw and bold and uh spicy and astringent and you give that to barton and so they try and make a cocktail with this and it's just like an atomic old-fashioned <laughs> you know it overpowers it's it's just very a very different experience yeah, trying to take that inspiration and, and, and make it something new and, and with modern kind of specifications is, is key to what we're doing. It always puts me on high alert when I hear somebody telling me they're making me a Prohibition-era cocktail. I'm like, Because well, <laughs> we're, we're using pretty pretty nasty spirits for Prohibition-era cocktails, so I always want to be sure what we're, we're going with the glass <laughs> at that point. So you've gone through this kind of brand investigation under the the pot still release mm-hmm. and i as far as i understand you've kind of come to a recipe or a, a a style you're releasing the pot still under now as kind of a core range item yes yes of course yeah so we're pretty happy you know it's by all intents and purposes the fourth batch every batch kind of changed as we slowly kind of traded in cask influences for other cask influences and uh the commercial release now will we'll, fall into the same small batches that we do for all of our core whiskeys. So every 18 months or so, we have to re-blend and rebalance. But the recipe now, recipe of casks or cask influences will stay the same. So going back to the mash bill, 50% malted barley, 50% unmalted barley. Uh, our yeast strain is a combination of white wine yeast and distiller's yeast. It's triple distilled. 
and uh, it goes into a virgin American oak for 25%. 25% is ex Oloroso sherry casks, and then 50% is ex bourbon casks. So what's important when it comes to the rebalancing and the reblending of this product is the nose is key. Uh, I always kind of, when I'm in America, I start with the nose. The nose is really important for this whiskey because it's a lot of that sense of familiarity to a modern whiskey fan, a lot of that butterscotch, toffee, vanilla, honeycomb, those kind of flavors of American whiskey, those bourbon, those tannins of virgin American oak, those vanillins are really kind of prominent on the nose of this whiskey. So as they kind of bring it to their bring it to their nose, bring it to their palate, they're, they're greeted with that sense of familiarity, that, that kind of caramel, the butterscotch and vanilla. And then when they do take a sip, it's a complete 90-degree turn as they are taken on a journey of not bourbon, very much not bourbon. It is single pot still, and that spiciness, uh, heavily kind of influenced by that, well, not heavily, but it, it aided, I guess, by that Oloroso sherry influence kind of takes the spice down a different route entirely and then the ex-bourbon uh cast as you well know kind of mold the two elements together and give you a nice long kind of finish rounding out the edges of that spiciness and uh and kind of warming a uh, sense of a good quality uh single pot still so yeah i think those three elements are kind of key there was a a, a lot of kind of trial and error i guess for the first three batches but we're pretty happy with with where it's ended up and we look forward to discovering how those kind of elements play you know as you know that this is between four and five years old uh but that will change not not so much like it won't it won't become that particular product won't become an age statement but what i mean is the what we'll learn is the virgin american oak might sit at four years old because that's that kind of prime real estate of a great color a great nose and it's it's great at that time but the ex-bourbon cast for example it needs that extra year so the ex-bourbon element is actually a five-year-old but obviously coming together as a package you know that you take that youngest year but we will learn how those elements uh, play with one another mingle with one another uh, and become balanced as a as a, as a hopefully recognizable award-winning uh, single pot still I believe you did just win uh, some awards in, in Dublin for the single pot still as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, yeah, the Irish Writers Guild chose to, we didn't kind of submit it or anything like that. They, The Irish Writers Guild, they pick uh, Irish produce and they basically just contacted us and said, we like this, we'd like to give it an award. And myself, Ruth from Marketing and Stephen Teeling uh, were invited along to the Irish Writers Guild Awards. And yeah, it was a really great experience. It wasn't, you know, your whiskey fan. There was a, a lot of uh, Irish food producers, chocolate producers, and and things like that. So it's a nice experience on top of the Marker Hotel. Great sunny day. We were outside, so that's a bonus. Uh, especially given something the- we don't have these days. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so it was a really great experience. It was, it was nice to get uh, a bit of recognition for for that whiskey because we're very excited about it. You know, it's the new baby. That's really important for us. Is the integra- integration of the Dublin distillate into what we do. You know, people sometimes can be quite dismissive with uh, some of the older stock, you know, that like think they've got a smoking gun as it were, like why does Teeling established in 2012, built a distillery in 2015, have a 34 year old Irish whiskey. And they think that, you know, that's a, that's a smoking gun. And uh, as you well know, you know, the, the whiskey industry, we're getting more and more transparent, but I think what's important right now is the integration of Dublin stock into our portfolio. Uh, and showcasing what we're doing in Dublin, which is exciting, really exciting to see Alex. Uh, yeah, like the, yeah, it's fun to hang out with Alex sometimes. <laughs> 
So as you're saying, the integration of the Dublin stock, so the the pot still is kind of the new core range, the batch yeah. four is the commercial release, I suppose, going forward. Yep. Will we be seeing more of Dublin distillate coming through? I know you've got some exciting things, some peated malt distillate. I think that's a little far away at this point, but are there other things we'll be seeing coming through from the Dublin distillery in the next little while? Yeah, I mean, that's... The fun thing about the whiskey industry, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you tend to be a little bit ahead of the game with that. And we had a few kind of products in the pipeline ready to go. But uh, this situation has kind of put a halt on that, unfortunately. Uh, you mentioned, you know, that the, the important one there, that the peated uh, black pits uh, from Dublin. So peated single malt was very exciting and, and hopefully was due to launch this year. Uh, when it was ready, you know, you're not going to rush those things, but if it's ready, cool. Uh, so we had some package designs and stuff, but uh, yeah, that's kind of been pushed back to whenever. We had, yeah, a few other kind of interesting things in the pipeline. You know, you know, our collaboration series where we take the pre-rum small batch blend and we experiment with all these different brands and, and uh, aged uh, alcohol producers. And that's very interesting to us. You know, the idea that Irish whiskey can be aged in any alcoholic wood cask that's you know i i'm not really giving it justice right now but that's a very broad spectrum of flavor uh influences and we're only just scratching the surface of that so we have this whole series of you know interesting unique whiskies and uh you know not only are we creating these unique whiskies but we're also learning what each of these casks do for example the gin uh finish that we did there last year a finnish rye gin finished irish whiskey um you know learning what does you know a white spirit, traditionally white spirit, aged do to an Irish whiskey? And we, what we found was it overpowered the whiskey after two months, but after eight months was almost kind of starting to be overpowered itself. Uh, so I'd say if we left that in any longer than eight months, then it just becomes, for all intents and purposes, another ex-bourbon barrel or ex-rum barrel, something like that, where you get wood tannins, but not so much the seasoning aspect. So we're learning these things and learning kind of the – the glass ceiling, as it were, of that particular style of, say, aged gin. So uh, that being said, we had a, I don't know how much I'm supposed to be saying, but we had a ginger beer finished uh, blend. So an alcoholic ginger beer finished Irish whiskey ready to go, but unfortunately kind of been postponed. If any of you were at Whiskey Live there late last year, you would have seen Brabazon 3, which is exciting. Uh, and I may have sneaked you a sample there. I may um, have it in my glass. <laughs> uh, we're not going to do you know too much about that. Hopefully, we're going to we maybe still launch that one. That was pretty much packaged and ready to go. But yeah, basically, a return to uh, Brabazon. You know those traditional flavors we talk about. Yes, Teeling's been very innovative in their gin finish and ginger beer finished and rum finished. You know, stout cast finished Irish whiskeys for a while now. But you know, it's it's also important to have those well-established age statements we won you know world's best single malt which is great for the irish whiskey category the first irish whiskey uh to ever do that so that's great brings a spotlight to the category so yeah i mean there are a lot of people in the world that are still kind of dictated by those traditional flavors and that is you know ex-bourbon casks virgin uh, virgin oak sherry and port and uh and and as you know the brabazon one was six different sherry influenced casks uh, blended together in single malts between eight and 16 years. And number two was six different port influences. So continuing that tradition, I think Brabazon 3 was exciting. It was 
less of a symphony of different influences and more kind of a narrowing in. So we chose one specific high quality sherry and chose a very cool single malt and, and really kind of focused in on the marriage of those two elements, which is exciting. And hopefully we'll get to express more. So I uh, see you there trying that. I, I won't go too much into it because like not every one of the listeners is going to get to try that anytime soon. So it feels a little uh, unfair, but I didn't even get any. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm delighted then I, I was able to get my own little sample. Um, I just want to take this moment to thank our sponsors once again. So this episode is brought to you by Cologne, the true distillery dedicated to transparency, cast strength bottlings with integrity and without color or filtration. Cologne Distillery, the past and the future of Irish pot still whiskey. The PX series from WD O'Connell Whiskey Merchants, gently finished in sherry casks, a different kind of Irish. Follow O'Connell Whiskey across all platforms or visit wdoconnellwhiskey.com for more details. And of course, irishmalts.com. New whiskies, old whiskies, and everything in between. Delivering to Ireland, the UK, Europe, and most US states. Visit irishmalts.com to browse their full range of whiskies, including the Cologne whiskies, the WD O'Connell whiskies, as well as the Teeling whiskies, of course. So, Rob, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was this charity bottling that mm-hmm. uh, you guys put forward recently, which was for the, I suppose, frontline support in Ireland. Can you mm-hmm. walk me through that that release that sold out in what must have been less than ten minutes? Yeah, it's it's a good thing. I mean, we wanted to offer something of substance. Um, you know, it's it's tough at this time. Like a lot of kind of scrambling as you want to stay open as a business and you want to keep paying your staff and you want to give to the people that are actually, you know, aiding us into getting back to some level of normality. So you need to kind of give props to them. So we wanted to do something, and, and luckily we had our distillery exclusive series. So essentially our distillery exclusive series is, is very similar to our collaborative series in which we work with other brands and other spirit influences or alcohol influences, I should say. But this one was more directed towards the alternative wood styles like uh, chestnut and Hungarian oak and uh, Mizanura and all these other Montporus Acacia and, and, and so on and so forth and Cherrywood. So yeah, a distillery exclusive series has been kind of the exploration of all these other uh, non-porous hardwoods. So number one, again, it's a, it's again that that control whiskey, as it were, our pre-rum small batch blend. You know, utilizing because it's all well and good to say that you utilize all these different casks. You know, you want to also learn something as well because you know going forward we want to utilize those flavors in some way. So, uh, so we used that same control whiskey and we put it into these different casts. So the first one we did was a chestnut. Second one was Hungarian oak. Third was chinkapin, which is a strain of oak uh, similar to American oak, but struct- structurally similar to American oak, but a lot more kind of tannins of, of European oak. And uh, we we're almost ready. Again, like I said, we have this kind of production schedule ready to go. You know, when, when uh, the... The uh, chinkapin does sell through. We want to have something to kind of follow it up with. And we had Irish oak. Uh, so that was going to be the kind of next distillery exclusive. But unfortunately, uh, with COVID, uh, we've had to close the visitor center. Uh, so we had kind of this stock that we uh, weren't sure what we were going to do with. So we thought, you know what, what better way than to kind of try and give back. So we worked with Celtic Whiskey Store. They provided a lot of the structure i guess to get it out to people and deliver it to people put a, a you know repackage together for it 
basically a big shout out and and everything like that and then yeah all proceeds kind of go back to those and a lot of the stuff we're going to try and do so chris's uh cocktail classes involve a, a charity element it, it's you know it's always been something that we did even with the uh, commemorative release the first single pot still that we released from the first new distillery in dublin in 125 years you know that this is not just because of covid or anything like that you know it's always been something that we've done at teeling is is give back to local dublin charities you know it's 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 important to us uh, as a company so uh this commemorative bottom it was great to see it sell so well we obviously we were nervous about that you know you don't want to come out and appear tone deaf you know there's a there's a great percentage of people especially friends of mine in the hospitality industry they've lost their job so you don't want to appear insensitive to them by coming out and appealing appearing like it's business as usual because it is most certainly uh, not uh, so yeah it was nice to see the, the positivity come back from the public and uh, yeah hopefully we can do something like that in the future so you were talking a little bit about the non-oak species and and kind of more experimental species you're working with of wood are there any woods that I'm sure you can't talk about the ones that are on the way that are hidden away in the, the warehouses, but are there any of the woods that haven't worked in your exploration? Yeah, I've got a good example for that. Uh, it's not, it's not that it hasn't worked, for example. Uh, it's just that it had a, uh, unprecedented realization, I guess. So it was, Ambrana, so Brazilian hardwood, so previously held or previously aged cachaça, and we put some Irish whiskey in. And uh, you'll have to forgive me because I didn't do my research on this, but there is a chemical compound that is found in that wood as well as in tonka bean that, in large amounts, is is toxic to humans. So you have to do stringent testing uh, and analysis to ensure that those levels are, are not at a dangerous level i guess uh so that one so that that's kind of been it was we have it we've tasted it i tasted it with alex there like going up to the warehouse alex is a, is a great day i think that was one of the kind of early days i remember when i was training spending some time with alex in the warehouse made me kind of fall in love with what we, what he was doing is the complete disregard that he has for this whiskey because me as a bartender and a bartender background you know obviously every milliliter counts it's heavily stock taken stock taked and uh, going up to the warehouse with him, seeing him grab a drill, drilling into a barrel and said, taste this. And he'd asked me, you know, what 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 year I was born. So we found a, a particular cask. So I won't say which, but I was going to say it's still not given away. <laughs> uh, so drilled in and literally he was like drilled in. It's coming out of the cask. And he turns around. He's like, where did I put my glass? I'm like, oh, my God. Like putting my hands underneath the dripping. Like, Please don't. It's going on the ground. Like, oh, grabs the glass, puts the glass in, and then rinses the glass, then throws that down on the ground. I'm like, oh, my God. And I tasted it. It was phenomenal. It was a great. And I think that experience kind of really, like, it, it was remarkable. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of romance in the whiskey industry that doesn't really get shared too often. But anyway, going back to uh, the day in where, we sh where we tried the uh, cachaça. So Alex and I tried it. And I'm not being facetious, and I'm, I'm not trying to write esoteric tasting notes here but it tastes like carrot cake. Now, the few people that I've shared this with, as I said before, not really a, a widely, uh, widely gifted whiskey, but the few people I've shared it with have 100% agreed. It's this weird uh, carrot cake-esque quality that you can't uh, shake. And even I was talking to Alexander Gabriel from, uh, from Maison Ferrand and, and Plantation, 
who has also experimented with these other uh, hardwoods, he found the same kind of elements. There's kind of these intrinsic elements from chestnut that kind of leans towards vanilla and vanilla cheesecake and a dairy-like mouthfeel. And uh, and what we found with uh, the Amberana is this kind of carrot cake-esque uh, quality to it. So, yeah, I mean, it's nice. It's interesting. I don't think it will – and I don't think it's considered a failure, but I, I don't think it's going to see the light of day uh, anytime soon. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. we put out this podcast in the next yeah. next teeling yeah. release. Amberana, get your carrot cake here. Yeah, you can't drink a whole bottle in one sitting. Why? Uh, no reason. <laughs> Full of carrots. Um, so when when you're going, I suppose when you're traveling between uh, Europe and the US and whatnot, are you seeing different? I suppose your trilogy range, your 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 core range of the single malt, yeah. the small batch blend, and the single grain. Do you yep. see popularity differences between those three as you travel around the world? Oh yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah, you know, uh, our single grain, great way to start. You know, the breakfast whiskey, as it were, very kind of light in style. It's a it's a ninety five percent corn based distillate, column distilled, and aged in red wine. So a lot of kind of Midwesterners, Chicago especially, you know, I, I normally any tasting that I do where we taste the Trinity, I, I ask people, you know, what was your favorite? And 99.9% .9 of the time you get uh, different hands for each of the different whiskeys, showcasing that people like different flavors within whiskey. And that's important, having each of the four styles of Irish whiskey uh, to kind of set a framework to build out, you know, the category education from. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of people, especially Chicago, like I said, really kind of responded to that single grain the last time I was there. You know, that that structural similarity to American bourbon where it's got that silky caramel-like mouthfeel, uh, that light kind of style, but it's different. So it has those kind of commonalities between something that they've, you know, shown to really enjoy and really like, but it's different and unique with that kind of tannic finish to it coming from the Cabernet Sauvignon cask in which it spent some time. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, Americans, certain elements of Americans tend to either respond very well to the small batch and, uh, and single grain. Europe, on the other hand, tend to lean more towards the single malt and the small batch. Uh, you know, and that's kind of evident in the kind of under populated category of single grain here in Ireland, for example, you know, you're not too many single grains because we tend to gravitate more towards single malts, uh, single pot stills, and obviously blends. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see it's, you know, like any whiskey show before they even come up, you know, I normally ask them what they drink. It's, it comes from my kind of cocktail backgrounds. You know, there's no point someone coming up to the bar and saying, give me a cocktail and you giving them, you know, in their head, they're thinking mojito and you give them an old fashioned. They're not going to walk away thinking that they were wrong. They're going to go, that guy doesn't know what I like. So it's important to know what people like. So I do the same in any whiskey show. What whiskeys do you drink? So if they're saying, you know, they like Arkansas and Glenlivet, Abelauer, Lowlands, kind of single malt scotches. I'm like, oh, cool. You like a single, a fruit forward single malt? I know where to go now. You know, if they say they like American whiskey or they like peated whiskeys tend to kind of lead them towards something that they actually might be responsive towards and then build from there. That definitely makes sense. Uh, and do you think that there's kind of an inherent palate difference between the Europeans and the U.S. whiskey consumers in the sense maybe perhaps the U.S. have more of a 
uh, a sweet affinity with kind of like the bourbon and, and the Europeans are more sherry oriented? Or do you think it is simply that Europeans are much more focused on the word single malt, whereas the kind of category lines aren't as well defined or the category loyalty isn't as big in the US? No, I, I, I think it's it's geographic. You know, that goes and that's it's way deeper than just whiskey. It's it's food as well. You know, the, obviously the biggest example from a whiskey perspective is that there's no kind of productional differences between Irish and and Scottish single malt, especially Isla Scotch and, say, Irish single malt. It's just the flavours in which they choose to retain because that's what, you know, they respond towards. But I think on a deeper sense, like I said, you think of food and you think of, you know, the, the, the tastes in food. You think of Scandinavia. Scandinavians really enjoy kind of smoked fish and you go to Japan and, and Asia, you know, it's it's geographically different what kind of people respond to in terms of flavours and their palate. Yeah, obviously there is that kind of, I guess, the leaning towards single malts, you know what I mean? Like that's, we've been kind of dictated for a long period of time of what that is and, and, and age statement and older whiskey is better whiskey and things like that. Like that was you know, something that was introduced in the 50s and 60s and things like that. And, yes, there are markets that are still kind of dominated by that. Uh, but I think with this kind of globalization and the information being to hand, as we're kind of very much seeing now with 95% of the world currently on the Internet, you know, people are, are trying to broaden their horizons. But, yeah, at a base level, people tend to go back to what they know, what they understand, what they enjoy. And, and that's, I think, quite geographically unique. Pretty much as good of an answer as I was hoping. Um, and when you are kind of going out into all these markets and you're, yeah. you said you're doing brand education pieces and and advocacy uh, building, are you seeing, it, like, is Teeling internationally much more focused on, I suppose, the kind of neat drinking market or is the brand much more that kind of cocktail-oriented uh, style brand? Because to be honest, for me, going around Europe in particular, I've seen kind of both ends of that scale in a sense. Mm. Well, I mean, there's a there's a saying that we like to say. It's uh, we like to think of ourselves as a great whiskey that just happens to be from Ireland. You know, we just want to make amazing whiskey. But it is about, you know, the premiumization of the category because you do go to the US and they still kind of look at, say, Jamison, which they, you know, think of as the Irish whiskey category as something to drink very quickly with maybe a shot of pickle juice. And I, I think that's not great for, for the Irish whiskey category. You don't want, you know, to see someone picking up a 30-year-old Irish whiskey and, and just necking it. Um, you know, some may, and that's that's completely up to them, but I think the majority of us don't want to see that. Uh, so it is really about the premiumization of the category, showcasing that we in Ireland do make fantastic whiskeys and, and want to showcase that. And I think the broad nature of the classification of Irish whiskey is really going to do us uh, a favour in that regard. You know, seeing the Scotch Whiskey Association open up the classifications around Scotch uh, to these other kind of seasoned casks is great because it shows, you know, it's not just a passing fad of finishing, whatever that is. But, yeah, that, the loose classifications around Irish whiskey means that the Irish whiskey category is one of few that can utilise this myriad of flavor you know if you if you really want to bring it back down to basics and use those kind of generic terms that 60 percent of flavor and color comes from the cask uh, we know that's subjective but 
if there are these, you know, so I can't even think of the unfathomable amount of casks out there that be influenced by unfathomable amount of alcoholic uh, influences and then showcasing how uh, they interact with Irish whiskey in certain ways and then the blending and uh, compartmentalization of all those different flavors into something new entirely I think we're yeah, again barely scratching the surface of and I think the history of Irish whiskey going forward or the future sorry of Irish whiskey going forward is very 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 bright uh, coming from a cocktail background and starting to think of not just finishing in terms of here's a whiskey that spent 10 years, say, in uh, ex-bourbon casks and then two months in sherry to differentiate it, instead thinking of a whiskey that, you know, is more of that kind of blending of different flavors, ensuring that those influences are represented in the final product as a, a symphony, as it were. So uh, you start to see, you know, whiskeys going either shopping and changing or multiple different casks, uh, like our single malt, for example, that's five different wine influences. You know, it's proved to be a very great example of an Irish single malt, uh, and that's that very fruit-forward flavour. And I don't think it would be the same if it was the same whiskey into those five different casks concurrently. It is really kind of five different single malts uh, blending together and becoming uh, something new entirely. So, yeah, I think that the terminology around finishing and, and maturation uh, in, in a few short years might start to change as we start to kind of really put a bit more of a, of a highlight on, on the on the role of a blender. You know, Japan's doing it, you know, really well with, with that kind of AO and the, and the stuff that they're doing, kind of stepping away from age statement single malts and really kind of showcasing the artistic, uh, artistic, artistry and creative output of a, of a blender because it is just one man's interpret or one team, I guess, is interpretation of the whiskey that they have in their warehouses. So if you were to, I suppose, go away yourself into a warehouse and you were making Rob Caldwell's whiskey <laughs> away from Teeling, teeling yeah. Branding, and you, you couldn't put together, as you said, kind of the core barrel flavors of virgin oak, uh, bourbon, sherry, and port. What would what would you, with your, your knowledge of the kind of different flavor libraries that are there right now, what kind of, I suppose, spirit casks or, or new casks would you put uh, something in a nice Irish whiskey into to mature away or finish? I, I have an idea that I'm working with Alex on. I'm not going to give it away because, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure a lot of Irish whiskey producers. Just uh, everyone's <laughs> scribbling in the back. Well, what do you say? What do you say? <laughs> Armagnac. Oh. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's exciting. Like these other, you know, more and more brands, like, like for example, Axelin Gabriel is, uh, is doing these. He's doing – so cognac industry change. They historically used to be able to use chestnut in the maturation of cognac now not so so he released something that was for all intensive purposes cognac but couldn't be called cognac because it was aged in chestnut barrels um so that was called the renegade cast but you know what that means it means now that brandy and i'm using big quotation marks because i'm not sure the legality of calling it that but brandy is uh, or grape-based distillate has now seasoned that chestnut cast so the more experimentation out there means that there is more flavors. So, yeah, like there is a lot of kind of casts that we're sitting on. And I think that the beauty of teeling is that, you know, we don't really like our DNA, as it were, or our kind of, yeah, the DNA is a great example, is 
innovation. We are okay with veering very far away from that kind of core recipe, as it were. You know, if you tasted small batch side by side with Kiro, they're completely different. They're they're 100%. And like that, there's a negative side of that too. Like if you sold our gin finished Irish whiskey, the Kiro, in a market in America without someone like me telling you the story of why, they're just going to pick it up, see Irish whiskey, think of a thing in their head which they deem Irish whiskey to be. They taste it and they go, oh, I don't like that. It doesn't resonate with what I deem Irish whiskey to be. Not only are they going to go, I don't want to buy this bottle again, they're probably going to look at the brand and say, you know, they don't know how to make Irish whiskey. So there's, there is a downside of being very, very innovative and very, very different. But, you know, that's what we do. We're very good at it. They're exploring all these different avenues of flavor and trying to be quite innovative. But yeah, there is that kind of element of, I think some brands don't want to veer too far away from what that brand's DNA is, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, uh, given that kind of creative freedom, I'm being very vague in my answer. <laughs> I do there's um, so many choices. I have yeah. no choices. <laughs> um, no, I, I used. I, it depends on my. Uh, like I'm still looking for a really great single malt that is entirely aged in virgin American oak. So there are examples of that. There is American single malts that are aged in virgin American oak, but I think a really, really great one I haven't found yet. I'm not saying there isn't one, but I haven't found one yet. So that's an interesting prospect. Um, but yeah, in terms of the the unique and interesting, you'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> Fair enough. So I suppose in this kind of uh, time that everyone's kind of stuck indoors, right. uh, we're all turning to lots of different avenues. Whether you're in the tweet tastings or you're you know doing online, I suppose uh, happy hours with your friends. You had kind of a a, a community set up pre COVID restrictions. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of aimed at a lot of kind of I suppose cross industry education and that yeah. was under the name of the Phoenix Forum so yeah. could you bring us through what that is and I suppose what that is trying to do during these fun and crazy times yeah of course thanks for bringing it up so yeah this was established pre pre me joining Teeling this was established by Kevin Hurley and it was a way to kind of give back to the Dublin community by bringing international bartenders and, and established kind of people in the hospitality industry to come and talk on what they're passionate about and try kind of, you know, develop the education around the Irish whiskey, oh, sorry, no, the Irish uh, hospitality industry. Uh, so you had Jack McGarry and Sean Muldoon talking about, uh, you know, how to build a, a world-class bar. And we had uh, Tim Etherington Judge, kind of previous global ambassador for Bullets and now with Healthy Hospo and Avalan Calvados talking about the importance of sleep because I definitely think that that's something as bartenders uh, we tend to kind of ignore. Uh, but yeah, a lot of these kind of international names, I guess, came over to Dublin and we'd put them up and we'd, we just had them talk to the, the, the Irish industry uh, about, you know, what they're passionate about. And uh, yeah, I, d- I didn't really want to jump out there and kind of push anything in anyone's faces. But like I said, like I've got a lot of friends in the industry globally and a lot of them are losing their jobs and I think it would be very detrimental to the hospitality industry globally because the bar industry, there's never been a whole lot of job security. You know, you can get a job anywhere, no problem. But the job security, you know, healthcare and guaranteed wages, 
and and uh, pension plans and things like that just don't exist as bartenders. So the job security has never been there. And now even less than ever, as, as hundreds of thousands uh, of bartenders are losing their jobs, I, I would loathe to see them kind of leave the industry. I think that the industry is going to be decimated enough uh, after all this. I think to see so many quality bartenders leave the industry to go and and work in you know an office or or a supermarket or something where is that little bit more uh, job security would only further uh, kind of decimate the hospitality industry. So I guess I was yeah like I said loathe kind of jump out there and do anything from a brand standpoint early days, but I was kind of online like a lot of us are, and there was a, a an outcry for it, especially in Dublin for education. So I kind of jumped on and just filmed a teeling masterclass on my phone and said, you know what, this would be a space to do it. I'm going to ask all my friends uh, globally to kind of submit something and we're going to try and put something together. Uh, luckily, Jack and Stephen Teeling were very kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, giving with me and they allowed me to kind of have the time to do this because it is very much not just, just a Teeling branded page. We use the Teeling Phoenix Forum because the structure was there and it's a private group that, you know, we want to ensure that level because putting it on a on a public space, I, I think, is a little tone deaf because, yeah, some people don't want to hear from, from brands right now or they didn't a month ago. I'm sure that's changed now. But, yeah, so soon after losing their jobs, I didn't want to get it out in anyone's face. Um, so, yeah, I, I put it in this private group that already had a lot of Dublin bartenders in and, and offered this space, and I asked a lot of people. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's proven to be very popular. Uh, we jumped from 300 members to 600 members. We're getting Dutch bartenders now, uh, Polish bartenders, Australian bartenders, and uh, U.S. bartenders. We've got you know wine talks. We've got a, a aperitivo talk uh, coming on uh, later this week. We're talking to we talked to Tim Judge again. We talked to Fiona O'Connor about you know the history. He did a fantastic. Uh, if you if, please join the Phoenix Forum and and check that out. He does a fantastic. Uh, chat while uh, I don't know if you watched it, but uh, let's just say, yeah, yeah, while he had some some porridge, <laughs> it was the most magical thing watching Fanon just add <laughs> ingredient after ingredient to just porridge and then proceed to eat it. But the saffron and the, the star <laughs> anise, and yeah, it was um, quite wild. Yeah, so I think it's really about giving because the Irish whiskey industry, I mean, sorry, the Irish hospitality industry has been very kind of giving to me, you know, when I arrived. Uh, you know, made a lot of friends early days, and and I, and I, you know, and Iron's home now for me. So yeah, giving back is is a no brainer. Uh, so yeah, having that space to kind of bring bartenders to and and trying to not only learn and educate themselves but share. Uh, so yeah, we got a few kind of ones lined up. I don't want to inundate everyone with a bunch of information, but yeah, we're trying to to build that out and 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 offer more and 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 try and uh, and grow that little community and give something back to to educate everyone in this ridiculous time exactly so people can find that on facebook at phoenix forum it's a yes, group. Yeah, the, the phoenix forum if, if they if they search for me uh, i've got a link up there but um yeah I'm, I'm sure it's not that hard to find the problem is however and i didn't name the phoenix forum it is a great name but i should mention that in the us it used to be a adult entertainment seminar not this page no the phoenix forum the name the phoenix forum so in some circles if say if you google the phoenix forum 
<laughs> you might get the wrong <laughs> the wrong link. But uh, but no, the, the Phoenix Forum on Facebook is is where it lives. Uh, all the videos that we're doing uh, remain on the page, and yeah, hopefully uh, we continue to grow that and 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 create a space for hospitality education. Cool. Well, I very <laughs> still laughing about that. Um, I suppose at this point, I'd like to say a big thank you to the sponsors of the show, uh, Cologne Distillery. Uh, WD O'Connell Whiskey with their PX series and of course irishmaltz.com and Rob if people were to looking to find you and, and also Teeling Whiskey online across the social medias where should they be looking? Yeah so like we said the Phoenix Forum is a great one teelingwhiskey.com and the Teeling Whiskey Facebooks are great we also have the Instagram account uh, I have my Instagram it's it's nameless uh, N-A-E-M-L-E-S-S uh, a whole thing, but it's it's not about me. It's about the, the whiskey that I represent. And, uh, yeah, the tillywhiskey.com uh, showcase a lot of that. We're, we're looking to rebuild that. You know, obviously a lot of us have some free time at the moment, so we're redeveloping a nice new website. And, uh, but, yeah, tillywhiskey.com, cool. tillywhiskey Facebook. Well, uh, for anyone who's looking to find out more from ourselves, you can always find us at potstill.com. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, Acast, all good podcast providers for Potstilled Radio. And if you want to find me, you can email directly at, at potstilled at gmail.com. Or, of course, you find us on Instagram and Twitter at potstilled underscore. And then on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash potstilled. And do feel free to share, uh, like, and subscribe. It always helps us jump up the rankings of the podcast and spread the word of Irish whiskey amongst the rest of the world. So, uh, Rob, thank you so much for giving me your time, and I very much appreciate you sitting down with us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I uh, hope you're doing well, and I hope everyone, uh, when they hear this, is doing well too. Well, thanks so much. <laughs>